Welcome to the Enter the Kingdom podcast, where our goal is to equip listeners with the tools they'll need to not only enter the kingdom of heaven here and now, but remain in the kingdom that Jesus ushered in 2,000 years ago. I'm your host, Harrison Watson, and in 2018, God called me out from the world for this purpose and many others. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. All right. Welcome to episode two of the Enter the Kingdom podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Watson. Thanks for joining us. Uh, again, this is our second episode. Well, want to kind of get into the first little bit about you know why this was even started. So I started this podcast because I recognized that outside of the Bible, which is a great resource, the mission that God has kind of put me on is not one that I've seen or heard anybody else really have to go through. And so... I have a feeling I'm not the only one who's going through this right now, but I also know that it's really hard to find anybody else who can relate to it. And so really, this is for the people who God's given them something to do that is so much bigger than they are. And you know for a fact that if God isn't involved in it, there's no way you can get it done. I think it takes a bit of craziness, for lack of a better term, to be willing to kind of go after something like that. And so, first and foremost, I just kind of want to encourage you, you know, I'm not sure what God's done in your life or what, or anything like that, but I just want you to know you're not alone. And I know it's scary. You know, I'm certainly not unafraid during this whole process, but I trust God. Does that trust ever waver? I think people would have different definitions of that. I think that, you know, we go through the questions in our mind, especially because, you know, at least what God's got me doing is so unfamiliar to anything I've ever done in my entire life. And you just get there and you're like defeated. That's the way it can feel at least. But anytime that I spend time getting back with God, you know, that just kind of goes away because I can come back to him. And, And I think that You know, trusting somebody doesn't necessarily mean you don't have questions. It doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have internal doubts. It's about taking those back to the source. You know, it's possible that Jesus never doubted. I think we talked about in the last episode about, you know, Lazarus. And certainly you read different times in the Bible throughout his ministry where I think that Jesus might have been not necessarily surprised, but maybe things didn't go exactly the way that he had thought that they might go or he just needed some comfort if it went the way that it was supposed to and he just needed to understand what was next and i think that you know it's really important that we do that that we take the time to actually spend time with god i think that is the kingdom right i think this is the garden the kingdom what did god originally intend for us he intended for us to live in communion with him in the garden i think The kingdom that Jesus ushered in 2,000 years ago is a kingdom that's meant to be lived here and now. Jesus was our blueprint of how that's supposed to be done. And Jesus proved, or God proved through Jesus, that anyone who walks in that way, there's only life and no death. You know, that's meant to be taken pretty literally. And so this podcast is for you. Those of you who are out there with something that is just way beyond you. But it's also for people who are who are at the beginning of the process. You're not real sure yet. You know something's not quite right, but you're not sure why. 
And I'm here to tell you that you need to follow the voice of God. Whatever you're afraid of that might hold you back, there are a lot of different things that you could be afraid of. But you'll find that on the other side of that fear, if you just have the faith to trust God, and by trusting God, you need to trust in his word and what it says. If you have the faith to do that, you're going to see miraculous things, and I have seen many. Um, today's episode, we're going to kind of talk about like what that first step is that even Jesus had to take, and we're going to be going through Matthew uh, chapters 3 and 4. But I wanted to, you know, I want to kind of talk to you about a very specific thing that happened to me just a few days ago. Speaking of, you know, how real this is and, and how how miraculous the things of God are. So basically I'm driving around the other day and I'm just out running errands. And as I look over to my left in my car, I see this man. This man's wearing a sports jersey. Uh, but he's got he's got like some bandage on his face, and he looks like he's he's a little disheveled. And as I'm sitting there, you know, the man just grabs the side of his head. Honestly, when I saw him the first time, the first thing that I felt in my spirit, I was like, oh, I think this man has a demon. And I've dealt with them in the area that I'm in before that I'm in before, because there's a lot of worldly activity that takes place around uh, where I'm where I am presently. Uh, but this man, as I'm sitting there, and I look over at him, I see him just grab his head, writhing in pain. And instead of walking, he just gets down on a ball. Like, uncontrollable pain this man is in. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say, come out of him in Jesus' name. And as soon as I said that, this man went from writhing in pain and holding his head to standing up and being perfectly fine. And in, in, in fact, he looked confused as to why the pain had left. Like he looked back at the spot where he was just sitting and he looked confused as to why the pain was gone. And I'll tell you, that's the first time anything like that's happened to me where I was not physically encountering somebody in a very close, you know, this person probably, I don't know, 25, 30 yards away from me, maybe about a half a football field as I was in my car, but that's the power of God's spoken word. And it really speaks to kind of the fundamentals of the way that we are both supposed to operate, but also how God operates, how God creates. And this is what he has for us. You know, Jesus Christ came down, he fulfilled the law and he made it so that if we would believe in what God did through Jesus, that we too could receive God's Holy Spirit within us so that God could take what he did in one person and multiply it out into the world. But we have to be willing vessels. And so I'm going to tell you the mechanics of that again, because it's actually vitally important. I was sitting there. I felt in my spirit, you know, my attention was drawn to this man. I felt in my spirit. The first thing that I remember saying is, I think this person is a demon inside of myself. I didn't audibly say it. But as I'm looking at this man and he's writhing in pain, the Holy Spirit just started speaking inside of me, and I spoke the words that I heard. And as that happened, this man was healed. And Jesus tells us that this is the way that he operates, 
operated as well. John 5.19 and John 12.49 are the two verses where you can see this. Jesus tries to make this abundantly clear as well, that he says that he's going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who will lead us into all truth and the truth will make us free. I'm taking multiple verses there and I'm putting them together. But this is the way that we're meant to operate. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It, it said, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters or over the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. How do you know if a prophet is a prophet? If the words that come out of their mouth come true. That's what the Bible tells us. Why is that? Because God used to handpick people to put his Holy Spirit on, whom he would speak to through his Holy Spirit. And when he spoke, things happened. Do you understand? That's how you can tell the Spirit of God versus not the Spirit of God. If you read the book of Exodus, and I was reading this today, this thing, the same thing was true in Moses' time. God spoke to Moses. Moses told his brother Aaron what to say, and they happened. But you'll notice something else as well. Some of the things that God gave Moses to do, Moses and Aaron to do, the sorcerers and, and, and magicians of Egypt were able to do, but they couldn't do them all. They couldn't do them all. That's going to be important for the time that we're in, because we are going to see signs that are going to come from the one whom the book of Revelation talks about and in, in whom you know, Second Thessalonians talks about. There's both a spirit of the Antichrist and a physical Antichrist. That's my belief, at least. That's my interpretation of what the Word says. And the Bible tells us that this lawless one will come about. Now, we see the spirit of the lawless one around us all the time. Now, whether this comes in the form of a physical man, I believe it will, or whether in the visions that are seen, he's describing a picture of what the arrow would look like, where people are exalting themselves above God, I'm not, I'm not fully sure, but you need to understand that in this spiritual realm that we're talking about, there is both power on God's side, and there's greater power, but there, there's also a form of godliness that is mimicked by, the, by, by darkness. If it didn't look similar, at least at some level, but you can always tell it by its fruit. That's why Jesus says you can tell a plant, or you can tell good from evil, a good or a, or a bad person by their fruit. What does that mean, their spiritual fruit? What are the fruits of the Spirit that they possess? But anyway, I tell you that story because I want you to have hope. You know, I made it very abundantly clear. If you haven't listened to episode one yet, I, I encourage you to do it. It's got some of the fundamentals in it, uh, and it goes a little bit more in depth into what those fundamentals are. Today, we're really going to start focusing in and diving into the topic of Matthew 3 and 4, Um. But I, but I tell you that because in that episode, I tried to make it abundantly clear. You know, I don't think that there's anything particularly special about me. Now, God would disagree because he's made all of us unique. But what I mean by special is I don't have a righteousness of my own to where God should have picked me to do this. Right? Like, to be able to do these things through me. Jesus made it so that anyone who believed and followed the way would receive the Holy Spirit. And God could do this through anybody who was willing to submit 
enough and allow God to be the one that leads them. But you have to be led. And these types of things that Jesus tells us will happen. But you have to also understand the cost. What is the cost? I don't want to send you into this thinking that, oh, this is going to be cool. I'm going to like, you know, love God, be led by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, he's going to, you know, maybe heal some people through me. You got to understand, you have to allow God to, to drive you in that. He's the one who does it. You don't personally have power to heal anyone. God has the power to do it through you when he chooses. And if you submit, he will do it through you. It's, it's authority. That's the power. The authoritative power of God, as delivered through the Holy Spirit. Anyway, you, you need to understand the cost. I had to give up everything that I had before in order to pursue this life. I told a little bit about that again in episode one, if you haven't heard it. And it's hard. It's simple, the concepts of it, but they're hard to do. Because God is going to challenge us in every way. Everything that we think is true, you know, all of the societal norms that we came and grew up with, there's so many things about them that just are counter to what the Bible says. And God speaks about it clearly in the Bible, but he needs people to come out and actually stand up against it so that he can be shown to be right. He can be shown to be true so that they will truly be a witness to the gospel. And, show, and that he could show that through, through their lives. You know, we've taken this kind of in the church to mean that it's, oh, I'm just going to get a better attitude and God's going to take care of me. And, you know, maybe I'll make a lot of money or something like that or things will go really well at my job. And then, you know, through me being nice, people will see God and then want to come to him. And sure, there's some truth to that, but I, I, I think it's so much deeper than that. I think that the church just covers a surface version. I think because we only cover the surface level knowledge of these things, you know, we're really doing the gospel a disservice. What is the gospel? We're going to read that right now, <laughs> heading into Matthew 3 and 4. What is the reason that Jesus even came here? All right, so we're going to dive into that now in Matthew 3 and 4. Sorry for the jumping around a little bit there. But I'm really, I'm trying to allow the Holy Spirit to kind of speak through me because I don't know what I, you know, I can sit here and I can prepare all I want. But you don't want my words. My words are worthless. You want me to be submitted to the Holy Spirit and allow him to guide me here. Because it's only God who can change anybody. And so I pray in Jesus' name that the words that are spoken here, though they come out of an imperfect vessel, that they would hitch the right people exactly where they need to in order to encourage them to receive what God is giving them. We have to receive the word that God gives us, right? It can be spoken to you. The truth about Jesus can be spoken to you, but if you don't receive it as truth, if you don't receive that and then live by it, live and stake your very life on it, is it even really true to you? I would say no. If, it, if the news of what Jesus has done doesn't change everything about your life, then I think you're missing it. I certainly was for a while. But okay, we're going to get into Matthew 3 now. I'm going to give you a little bit of background first, uh, kind of in, in the book of Matthew. You know, um, Matthew 1 goes through the genealogy of Christ. 
Uh, I absolutely encourage you to read through that. Uh, you're going to see some pretty amazing stories in there. Uh, you know, there's, especially if you read through the Old Testament, you're going to see how there are a lot of really not perfect people um, that God had to use in order to bring the Messiah to us. In order for Jesus to be born. And finally, he was born to the Virgin Mary. And there are wise men from the East, who if you read in Genesis, Abraham, as he's leaving, um, he ends up having another wife. And he has children, and he sends them off with gifts, and he sends them off to the East. And these wise men in Matthew chapter 2 come bearing gifts from the East. There's a tie back to that. And it talks about all the different ways that the systems of this world, you know, in chapter 2, where they were really trying to kill Jesus. <laughs> when they heard about the promise of Jesus, when these wise men came to Herod and told him about them, the king of Israel, the one who was supposed to receive the Messiah, and he knew from these things that it was the Messiah, the wise men had said as much. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Herod, the king, the, the king of the very nation that was supposed to be waiting for him and protecting him, in his heart didn't want to lose his, his power. He tried to kill Jesus. In fact, he asked the wise men to, to tell him when they came back. And you'll go into later into, you know, th this is told to Joseph that Herod sought to kill him in a dream by an angel. And so what did Herod do? In his lust for power, he killed anybody who was around the, uh, any males that were around the age of them in the area where he was born in Bethlehem. So this is the scene that we come on to as we get into what's coming next in, in, in Matthew chapter 3 with John the Baptist. This is the scene that we come into. Jesus is born into a world that already knows that he's the Messiah and the very people that are supposed to want to receive him, those in power, want to kill him instead. And so if you think for a moment that the gospel of Jesus and the truth of the kingdom of heaven will be well received by those who are in the power in this world, Perhaps the people, some of them may receive it well, but the spirit behind the powers that exist in this world, they will not receive it because it will mean a relinquishing of their power. And so now we're going to jump into uh, Matthew 3, talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is a, the cousin of Jesus. And I'm just going to start reading a little bit, and then I'll, and then I'll stop as we go. In those days... Bible says this all the time. So in the days that we're talking about where Jesus returns back to Nazareth after he's had to go to Egypt and has come back and you know Herod's died but his son's now over the area. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. 
John the Baptist starts out his preaching with these words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's going to be important because you're going to see this all tied together as we get into chapter 4. Remember those words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And now John is a guy who was called to something different, right? I mean, the Bible clearly is saying that this man was called to be a prophet. Um, and he was written about by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The Bible is important in that every detail that it includes, and actually all literature that comes from that period of time, biblical literature, the, the details that are chosen to, to be included are important. So, now John himself, this is the next part. Now John himself was clothed, clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Why would you say that? Why did they take the time? Are they trying to get you to get a picture in your mind of a dude, a hairy dude walking around with a leather belt, and he is eating bugs and honey? Now, what they're trying to get you to see is that the way that John came into the world and the way that he was operating in the world in the capacity that he was operating in was very counter to what the rest of the world was at the time. People back then wore tunics. They didn't wear uh, camel's hair. They certainly didn't live in the wilderness. And they weren't going around just eating bugs and wild honey. It, it was very odd. And for those who are called by God, you, you shouldn't expect that things are going to operate the way of this world. They're going to operate according to the way that God works. And by the way, this is one of the things that you should expect. If God's calling you to something that's way bigger than yourself, that you know you can't achieve, more than likely, he may have you work around the systems of the world, but... With what he's bringing into the world now, he's going to have you work outside of him, just like he did here with John the Baptist. All right, so now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a, leather, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. So this is what, this is what he's doing. He, he's coming around. A dude dressed in a hairy outfit with a leather belt. And he's just, he's literally in the wilderness preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the people hearing about this come out to see him. And this weird dude who apparently is having people drawn to him through his preaching has people coming out and they're so moved by what he's saying that they are baptized, they're being baptized by him into repentance, and they're confessing their sins to him. Uh, guys, that's weird, right? That's weird. This wasn't a priest. You know, when we think about confession, we think about Catholic confession, and I'm not sure if there, there might be other church traditions. I'm, I'm, I came from a non-denominational background, so I'm not sure, but there might be other Christian traditions where that happens as well. But, but again, you know, first we're going after the government structure when Herod tried to kill Jesus. And now John goes immediately into this. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. All right, so like I said before, before we get to chapter 3, we have the story of Jesus' birth. A tumultuous time where the government structure of the age that was supposed to be protecting the people of Israel, and indeed the king of Israel, who was supposed to be waiting for the Messiah himself, actually tried to kill the Messiah while he was in infant form. And in his lust and thirst to keep power, when he couldn't find the actual child, he instead killed many little children around that age in the area he was from. So we have, you know, God with confrontations and having to avoid you know, the governmental structure of the time. And then now we have John, his prophet, who is supposed to make the way straight for the Lord, going directly after the religious leaders of the day. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, those are, those are the ones who were the keepers of the law of that day. It was meant to be a good thing. But as you, we'll see throughout our work together through this, that it, you know, sometimes things that are well-intentioned don't necessarily add up to God's truth. And, and he's saying to, the, to, to them, to these religious leaders, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And he's saying to them, you better start bearing fruit that is worthy of repentance. And also, don't think that what came before you, the promise that you have through Abraham, who is, you know, your father, don't think that that's going to save you. Because God can raise up children from a stone for Abraham to fulfill his promise. That's what, that's what he's saying to him, to fulfill the promise that he made back to Abraham in Genesis. John is saying that he can raise up a whole new generation from stones to fulfill his promise to Abraham. And he's saying that even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. What trees? He's talking about the, 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 the root of Abraham, the root of the, the family tree of Abraham. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He, he's trying to get people to see that the status quo of the way that things have been done is not the way that God's going to do it. And then he goes on further to talk about why he's here. He's like, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. There is a covenantal relationship to that whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. That we'll talk about it another time, but that's why he says that, because it's a weird thing for us to hear today. And he says that he who is coming after me, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his, winning, his winnowing shovel in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Talking about Jesus. The very next scene, Jesus, it literally says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan. It's almost like he shows up like right after he's saying this. 
to be baptized. And John tried to actually prevent him from it because John knew who he was. John was the only one who the Holy Spirit had shown and who God had shown who he is. I said, I need to be baptized by you. He said, and John's saying this to Jesus. And you're coming to me? But Jesus answered and said, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is filling for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John baptized him. Let's stop right there for a minute and just talk. The Bible tells us that Jesus knew all temptation yet was without sin. We, he had no sin. And when we think about repentance, we think about stopping sinning, right? But this perfect person, Jesus showed the way. This is the start of the way to repent. Jesus is being baptized into repentance. But he's, he's really doing something different. He's stepping into and humbling himself before God and before everyone else to say that I need to repent. And he's, and he's being baptized. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened up to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now there's debate about this. But to me, it's not really a debate. It's at this point that the spirit, the, the dove, is the is the Holy Spirit that is descending upon Jesus. I believe that Jesus received the Holy Spirit at this point. Um, I think that there are many theologians who would totally disagree with what I'm saying. But we, if you go back into other accounts of the gospel, when it's talking about when it's talking about John the Baptist versus Jesus. And uh, Elizabeth, I believe, was his mother's name, John the Baptist, and Mary are also cousins. Um, she visits him, and John has the Holy Spirit from birth. In his mother's womb, he has it. And John dances. But here's the first time that we read about the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. So, so that first step is, you know, Jesus humbling himself, all of us humbling ourselves and repenting. Realizing that we don't have all the answers. And then I want to hear, I want you to hear the very first line, super important, of chapter 4. Then Jesus, after this baptism had happened and he receives the Holy Spirit, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Full stop. Most of us think that when we receive the Holy Spirit, immediately good things are going to happen, especially in the age of Amazon Prime where we can have anything we want and we can have it now or in one or two days. We think that good things are supposed to come to us quickly, but wait, but wait a second. Then Jesus was led up by the spirit, the spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's the first thing that happens. Why is that? God has to make sure that we're serious. We have to live out a repentance. And then it says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, the devil, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, this is important. First off, that verse comes from Deuteronomy the one that Jesus is quoting, but Jesus is quoting scripture. 
he's quoting biblical scripture. You know, the New Testament when Jesus was around wasn't there. We have this now as an, as an account of his life. But Jesus would have known everything from the tradition beforehand, from the Torah. And he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What he's telling us is where we can focus our truth, but he is also giving us uh, an indication. He's doing many things. He's quoting scripture to negate the lies of the enemy who's trying to get him to prove who he is. You know, when, you, when we get an attack, you'll notice in all three of these instances when Jesus is being tempted by the, by the enemy, he uses scripture to back that up. But what Jesus is saying when he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, it, it, that verse isn't an accident that that's being used. You know, Satan is trying to tell him what to do. This dude's hungry, right? This dude, I shouldn't call him this dude. Jesus is hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days or 40 nights. And so, what would I want to do? I imagine I'd be pretty hungry and I'd want to eat. So the enemy says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. He's like, what's another way of saying that? If you are the son of God, take care of yourself. Use the power that God has given you to take care of yourself. And Jesus is saying, no, I live by what God tells me to do. I live for God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's the way that we're supposed to live. He's like, I'm not going to listen to what you're tempting me with, Satan. And we'll see that coming a little bit later. I'm going to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. All right, so he passes that test. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Again, stop. The, the enemy knows that he, that he knows the word, because Jesus just recited the word back to him. And so what does the enemy do? He tries to twist and contort the word back to Jesus to still get him to take power into his own hands. What is Jesus' retort? Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Not test or tempt the Lord your God. So he's taking this biblical knowledge and being able to apply it to the specifics of what the enemy is trying to get him to do, what, it, what he's trying to tempt him to do. The enemy is trying to tempt him to, A, prove who he is, and you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody. Certainly not the enemy. We have to trust God and do what God tells us to do. But he, he's smart enough to understand this, this word and use this word, but also understand the different temptation angles that the enemy's coming from. And each of us are going to have our own because each of us have different... Um, we'll all have some similarities in the types of temptations that will come our way. But they're going to come at us in slightly different ways because of the unique situations that each of our lives have been in. But Jesus knew the word, and he's speaking it back. And then this is the last time that the enemy, this next one is the last time that the enemy will tempt him. And he says, in this scene, 
Again, the devil took him up on, a, on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their, and their glory. And he said to him, all things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus says to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And at that, when Jesus said that again, I will only serve God, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. I want to talk about the wilderness period. There are other versions of this that say that the devil left him to wait for an opportune time that he could come back to him again. I want to talk to you about the wilderness period that you should expect. If the first thing that happened after Jesus was brought and publicly said that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased after he repents, and then God takes him to a place of isolation, and fasting with God. And after that, the enemy is sent to him to tempt him. Presumably to tempt him with the things that he had just learned about over the these 40 days and 40 nights or worked really closely with God and fasting on over the, this period. You know, the, this wilderness period where he's isolated and then the enemy tempts him. And then it is after he has overcome that temptation with what? With the word of God. We need to know the word, because man should not live by bread alone, but by the every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need to be, and, 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 and see, you know, the enemy used the word, tried to use the word against him, so we have to know it inside and out. We have to focus on it, and we have to really try to understand it deeply. But this wilderness period, it's real, and it's hard. It's where God is taking us and molding us into what he wants us to be. And helping us to overcome the faults that we have. Because we do have them. He has some things that he has to get off of us. Before we can go and fully do the work that he has for us. Now, we, we talked about what John said. What, what John was preaching about in chapter 3. It says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is in hand. I want you to hear the very first words of Jesus' ministry. You know, this said, this says, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison because John the Baptist got arrested he departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth he came in and dwelt in Capernaum which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah saying the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light is dawned. So this is the beginning of his ministry. What are the first words that Jesus speaks in his ministry? It's a continuation of John the Baptist. What John the Baptist was saying, what John used to create the path. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the first step, folks. If you want to enter the kingdom... You need to understand that repentance is the first step to it. What does repentance look like? Some, pe some people think that it means, you know, just stopping sinning, and that's definitely a part of it, but repentance is truly a complete 180 from the way that you live. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus tell, tells us what that is. You can read the Beatitudes, and you can read a lot of different things. Just, you know, Matthew talks about it quite a bit. But it isn't the kingdom of this world. And so if we're going to repent, it means to change our minds, turn from the ways of this world and towards the kingdom of heaven and walk that way. 
And the first step to doing that is actually repenting. In the next chapter, we're going to, the next episode, before we go, um, I, I don't know if we'll get all the way through it, because it's a lot, but it's the Beatitudes. It's the Sermon on the Mount, chapters four, or sorry, chapters five, six, and seven in Matthew, where Jesus is really trying to explain how to enter the kingdom. <laughs> It's really what he's trying to explain. You know, the rest of chapter four is him calling on his disciples. And then the very next thing is the Sermon on the Mount. He's trying to teach the disciples. It says that in seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. Or when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. Who did he teach his disciples? That's who the sermon is to. So we're going to talk about that in our next uh, next episode, which uh, God willing will be next Monday. I believe next Monday is December 6th. Let me check that on my calendar. I think that's right. Yeah, it'll be Monday, December 6th. Until then, you know, I, just, I pray that you would take the, the things that you're hearing here directly to God and, and take them back to the Word. Because we live in an evil time, and it's very important that we separate truth from facts. Don't take my word for it. Don't take anything that I say on its own. Take it back to the Word. Take it back to God in prayer. Use both. Test it. And allow God to lead you. Because truth is the most important thing. You know, the Bible tells us that the people of this hour were given over to a strong delusion because they did not receive the love of the truth. There are facts, and then there's truth. The only truth you can find is the truth found in God's Word. This you can stake your life on, the words in this book. So I encourage you to take everything you hear here back to him and back to prayer and sit with it, please. It's too important. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to speak to your children. I ask that anything that I did that was imperfect, which is probably plenty, I ask that you would take that and make it perfect to work the way that you need it for the people who need this. Father, I ask that you would work inside of me to continue to transform me to be more like your son. Give us all the strength and the courage to do what is necessary in order to follow you fully with all of our hearts. We thank you. We praise your name, for you are king. You are our king. And you are king of heaven and earth, now and forevermore. It's in Jesus' name we thank you and we pray these things. Amen. God bless. We'll see you next time.